Open your Bibles, if you would, this morning to the book of Acts chapter 9. The books have to... We okay, Cameron? All right, we made it, all right. <laughs> Acts chapter 9. We're going to read again just the first six verses. We did this a couple of weeks ago. And I want to continue the thought uh, that, that we, can, we began on that day. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1, down through verse number 6. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1. Follow along, if you would, in your Bible as I read aloud. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it, it shall be told thee what thou must do. I have chosen as the phrase that I'm preaching on that statement in verse number 6. After Paul had acknowledged the Lord, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And I'm preaching on the subject of, now what? Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, we do thank You for the Word of God. It is our instruction, it is our guidance, it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And Lord, without its direction, we would not know You. God, it is what brought us, what drew us to You. It is what the Holy Spirit of God used to speak to our hearts, to reveal You to us. And God, we thank You for that this morning. And I pray as we consider these thoughts, that Father, You would bless them to our hearts and to our minds and to our lives. Father, may we strip away uh, any of the things that are displeasing to You in our life. And Father, may we put on those things that are pleasing to You. I pray, God, You speak to each heart individually as we collectively hear the preaching of Your Word. Father, I pray You would, uh, you would speak to each individual this morning and may they, may they communicate with You and know what You have for them to hear and to, and to listen to. We pray especially should there be one today that has never not yet trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that God, they might, they might also re recognize the, the simplicity of your salvation in trusting Christ as Savior and being born again into the family of God. And the Lord, today might be the day they put their faith and trust in Thee. We ask You to bless the preaching of Your Word. Give me clarity of thought and speech. Help me to deliver faithfully Your Word and use it, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul, or Saul of Tarsus as he's called in the book of Acts, had been an enemy of the church, an enemy of this way as it's called in these verses. And he had done his best to exterminate Christianity. If, if Saul of Tarsus were around today, he would be your enemy. He would hate and despise you because of your belief that this Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. That He was the Christ. Paul as a Jew, as a Pharisee, was still anticipating the coming of that Messiah but he, he abhorred the thought that this lowly carpenter's son could possibly be the long-awaited prince of Israel. And he had determined with all of his being to stamp out those that were followers of Jesus of Nazareth. 
So far so that he would go to Damascus and go to places and bind them and throw them in prison, give his voice against them, and even, and even speak again, and demand their blood as he did with Stephen, that he be stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And yet here on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, Paul had a life-changing experience. And I don't hesitate from the word experience. He had a life-changing experience. The Saul of Tarsus before Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 6, is not the same Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse number 10. There is a complete change that takes place in this man. And it happened in a moment. It happened in an instant. When the light shined from heaven and he fell to the ground and he looked up and said, and said Who art thou, Lord? And, he, and the Lord said, I am Jesus. And he said, Lord... What wilt thou have me to do? See, salvation is not a long process. It's not a reformation period where you slowly begin changing things in your life. Salvation is an experience. It's a one-time thing that happens when you sincerely and truly put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I pray, oh how I pray, that everyone, every person under the sound of my voice this morning has had that experience. Now, granted, it wasn't like Saul. You weren't knocked off the back of a, a horse or a donkey. You didn't see a blinding light. Uh, a voice didn't speak from heaven saying, why are you persecuting me? But every one of us should be able to look back at some point in our life where we see and acknowledge and know that there was a specific time and place and experience, as it were, where we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Your human birth was an experience. It was not a long, slow process. The day you were born was the day you were born. The day you were born again is the day you were born again. And for Saul of Tarsus, it was on the road to Damascus. And his life was changed. We talked last week about three things that you need to do now that your life has been changed. And I hope your life's been changed. If your life has not been changed, if you've not been born again, not been saved, that is your number one need. And regardless of anything else I say this morning, I pray you come back to that one thing. You need Jesus Christ in your life. You need to be saved. You need to be born again. You need to become a child of God. Get out of the devil's family and get into God's family. Get out of darkness and walk in light. Stop living in death and come to life. And that all happens by trusting Jesus Christ as personal Savior. But now that you're saved, the majority of us, I dare say almost everyone, now that we're saved, what's next? Does God just save us and say, all right, uh, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you put your faith and trust in me. I'm glad you believed in me. And now I'll give you a little pat on the back and send you out the door. And now go live your life. Hang in there. Do the best you can. You know you're going to heaven now when you die because of your faith. And, and, and I'll be with you, but just, just, just go tough it out and do what you can. Is that what it's all about? Paul said in, Saul said in verse number 6, What wilt thou have me to do? Not for salvation... He's already been saved. But now that He's saved, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's next? And last week I gave you three words that I, I kind of summed up what God told Paul He wanted him to do next. And again, I'll say this again. Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, same guy, two different names. I'll get them. I'll say one or the other different times. Just, just please remember they're the same guy. All right, Saul of Tarsus, before he got saved, shortly after he got saved, he changed his name to Paul, uh, but, we, but we refer to him as both. But once he got saved, what did God want him to do? I gave you one word last week, and that was simply this, grow. The word I gave you last week, what does he want you to do? He wants you to grow.
grow. What did Paul do in Acts chapter 9? Again, I don't want to re-preach last Sunday's message. But God told him, I want you to get up, Saul. I want you to get up and go into Damascus. You're going to meet a man named Ananias. He's going to come and lay hands on you. He's going to baptize you. And I want you to get baptized. And I want you to follow me. So we talked about what we need to do for the Lord after we're saved when we grow. is first of all, be baptized. Follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Salvation is something that happens inside. Nobody can see it. Baptism is a public testimony of an inward faith. All right, again, and we talked about it last week, baptism does not wash away your sins. It does not cleanse anything inside your body. It might cleanse you outside, but baptism happens so quickly, you're not, you don't get a bar of soap and shampoo. Uh, you don't get anything that way. It's just down in the water and back up after. Uh, but baptism doesn't, but it's a public testimony of an inward faith. You're taking that first step of obedience and telling the Lord, I'm not ashamed of you. I will testify of you before others. Now, baptism is in front of the church. If you won't testify in front of a bunch of born-again saved people, you'll never testify in front of the world. And so baptism is a good first step of your faith. You need to grow. We also looked last week that you need to be teachable. Alright? When Saul of Tarsus got saved, the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians, and we'll look there in a moment, that God immediately took him and separated him and sent him to the Arabian Desert. And for three years, Paul sat there and was taught one-on-one by God from heaven. Now, granted, that's not going to happen to you either. Saul was a special vessel chosen by God to write 14 books of our New Testament. He got some specialized training. His Bible Institute in the desert of Arabia is not going to be matched by you and I, but it simply shows us that once we're saved, we need to learn. We need to grow. Some of you had to unlearn a lot of things when you got saved. Because you've been taught this or that or the other thing by religion or denominations, and you found out that's not in the Bible. And then many of us had to learn things because we had absolutely no clue. I knew absolutely nothing about the Bible when the Lord changed me and saved me. And so we had to start learning things. We've got to be teachable. We've got to learn. And we looked at several references about that last week. I want to look at one more before we move on to point number two. And that's over in Second Peter chapter 1. Look there with me if you would, please. Go to the right from the book of Acts. Right before Revelation and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is 1st and 2nd Peter. So a good ways back there in the New Testament. Go to 2nd Peter chapter 1. Again, talking about growing. Once you're saved, you're not to be complacent. You're not just to ride this thing out. Well, Lord, thank You for saving me. Dust yourself off and then just wait till the day you go to heaven. No, He wants you to grow. And one way that we grow is by being teachable. We come to church. The reason you're here this morning is to grow in your faith. To learn more. And whether you've been saved three days or 30 years, there's always more for us to learn from the Word of God because it's inexhaustible. I've been saved now for 48 years. I've read my Bible through dozens and dozens of times. And yet every time I read and every time I study, either I'm refreshed and renewed by something I already knew that encourages me, or I see something in a new light, not a new way, not a new teaching, but see something that applies in a different way. And the Word of God is inexhaustible. That's why we come to church. Say, preacher, I've been coming for 20 years. Praise the Lord. In your 20th year, you'll probably learn something you didn't learn in your first 20. We keep coming. We keep growing. Here's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And beside this, he talks about salvation in the first four verses. And then in verse 5, he says, And beside this, giving all diligence, 
All right, give all diligence, it's hard work. Add to your faith. Add to your faith virtue, moral purity. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, that word I don't like, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they shall make you that you shall never be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You realize what Peter just did in those verses? He gave you some things to add to your faith. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, that's not the end of it. Now you need to go on. Now you need to add to your faith virtue and the virtue knowledge and knowledge temperance and temperance patience. Patience godliness. Godliness brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness charity. We are always and ever growing in the things of God. So what will thou have me to do, Lord? Grow. Then secondly, look back at Acts chapter 9 if you would. Acts chapter 9. Look at verse number 21. I like this. Acts chapter 9, verse 21. Saul, after he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, started hanging around with the disciples. They didn't trust him. Can you blame them? This is the guy that tried to stamp them out. This is the guy that tried to kill them. And now he's mingling with them. And in verse 21 of Acts 9, it says, But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is this not He that destroyed them which called on His name in Jerusalem? And came hither for that intent that He might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength, there's his growing, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. So he's growing in verse 22. But in verse 21, They that heard Him were amazed and said, Is not this He that destroyed them that called on His name. The first word I gave you was grow. The second word I want to give you is glow. Lord, what wilt Thou have me to do? I want you to glow. I want you to shine. I want you to stand out. I don't want you to be behind a curtain. I don't want you to be behind a door. Uh, May Lee was up here as after between uh, Sunday school or right after church as the kids were being dismissed. My granddaughter was up here. And, she's, and Maddox was pointing up at the lights and we were looking at the lights and Maylee said, why are there lights? And I said, because without the lights it would be dark in here. You know, that which we take for granted, the kids are still learning. She said, I said, well, because without the lights it would be dark in here. And she looked at me like she didn't understand. I said, if there was no lights, I wouldn't be able to see you. And you wouldn't be able to see me. And I wouldn't be able to see your brother. She said, oh, so we need the lights. And I said, yes, that's right. You know what the world needs? They need light. Because the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5 that the whole world lieth in darkness. And what this world needs today, folks, is for you that call on the name of the Lord, you that profess to be Christians, you that are in church on a Sunday morning, To not just glow when you're in here holding a songbook and singing the music, but that when you go out these doors and get into society 
and mingle with the rest of the world wherever you are and wherever you're going, they need to see some light. They need somebody to glow. They need, as they looked at Paul, to say there's something different about this fellow. There's something different about what he's doing. The way he talks. The, 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 the things he talks about. The way he looks. There's something different about him. Now, I'm not saying we need to go put on some kind of costume or something and, and look different and odd from everybody else. But you know, the Bible does say that when we get saved, we become a peculiar people to the Lord. And that word peculiar doesn't mean strange or, or bizarre. It just simply means different from everybody else around you. And this world desperately needs some Christians that will glow. Turn back, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. I know you'll know these references, but I want you to look at it. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Very familiar verses. Verse number 14 to verse 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. <coughs> Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Here's what Jesus said to His disciples. Ye are the light of the world. You realize what an awesome responsibility that is right there? That out of all the population of the world, you as a follower of Jesus Christ are the light of this world. Ye are the light of this world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We need to glow. Ye are the light of the world. You know what Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 25? Again, over in John chapter 8. You know what Jesus said? I am the light of the world. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. But that light has now been taken away. Look at, look at John 9.25. Look at how he said it. Because it's instrumental to, to, to know this. John chapter 9. Make sure i got the right verse. No, that's not the right one. John, John 5. <laughs> John chapter 5. That's not it either. Oh well, go to John chapter 5, verse 35. I wrote down the sayings, the phrases, but not the references. Jesus said, while I am in this world, I am the light of the world. And the key there, Jesus said, while I am in this world, I am the light of the world. But then He told His disciples, ye are the light of the world. In John chapter 5, verse 35, Jesus talking about John the Baptist has said, He was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in His light. See, Jesus was the light of the world. John the Baptist was a light. You and I are called to be light. We're all supposed to be testimonies of Jesus Christ in this lost and dying world. Our lives are to glow. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your spirit and your body, which are God's. We are to glow for Him. He said in verse, in, back in Matthew chapter 5, He said, a city that's on a hill cannot be hid. Somebody ought to be able to look at you from a distance. 
A city that's on a hill. Look at you from a distance and say, there's something different about that person. They're just, they, they just don't fit in with everybody else. We get nervous about not fitting in. You should not fit in. Man, with everything that's going on in this world right now, the chaos and the, and the, and the, and the mess and what people are interested in, what people love and uh, vulgarity and all this kind of stuff is just sickening to the child of God. And you ought not fit in. You ought to be a light that stands out in this world right now. And you ought to be able to stand out from a distance. Look at verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. Upon close examination, you ought to shine as a light. See, the problem is I've seen folks that look good from a distance. They don't look so good close up. Now, I'm not talking about physical appearance. Don't get nervous. But you look at somebody from a distance, a Christian from a distance. Oh, they go to church. Their car's gone on Sunday mornings. They're not home. They're going to church. You see from a distance, they're a neighbor. Yeah, they, they got a Scripture sign out there. That's, that all looks good from a distance. But when you get close to them, you find out, man, their attitude stinks. Their conversation's really not that great. They're really no, not much different than anybody else. Your light needs to shine from a distance, and your light needs to shine up close and personal too. That light needs to shine. It's the only light this world is going to see. A light not only shines, but it gives direction. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You will give people direction by the light that shines. I read a story about a captain of a, of a, a vessel on Lake Michigan running from Chicago, Illinois over to Michigan and up to Wisconsin to Green Bay and up there and he was hauling all this stuff and uh, he'd been on the lake for 10 or 20 years and they were out one night and it was a dark night and a stormy night and he was sailing toward, uh, toward uh, Mackinac, Michigan. And he's sailing up toward that direction and as they were sailing, one of the sailors came to him and said, Captain, he said, there's a light ahead and it's straight ahead of us. So the captain got on his radio and he radioed that, that other light and he said, he said, you need to turn to starboard. And the voice came back and said, no, you turn to starboard. And so they went on a little while longer and the sailor said, Captain, they're not turning. Uh, we're getting closer to that light. And so he got on a second time and he said, he said uh, this, is the, this is the USS um, uh, Manito Manitoba. He said, uh, you, need to, you need to steer to the starboard. You need to turn to the starboard side. And the voice came back and said, no, you need to turn to the starboard side. And finally, the third time, the captain got a little arrogant and a little upset, and he said, this is Captain so-and-so of the USS Manitoba, and I am commanding you to turn starboard. And the voice came back and said, this is the keeper of the lighthouse on the rocks. You need to turn toward the starboard. All right? That light gives us direction. It tells us which way to go and sometimes which way not to go. And so you and I need to be a light in this world that is pointing people in a right direction. Let your light shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How is your light this morning? How is it shining? It's supposed to, it's supposed to shine. It's supposed to guide. Look in your Bible, if you would, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 5, Paul said this, Ye are the children of light, 
and the children of the day. Ye are not of the night, nor of the darkness. This is a spiritual truth that really ascends beyond our capabilities of thinking of it. If you could see down from heaven and look at this earth, it's like every believer in Jesus Christ is a little light walking around down here on this planet. And they're walking among 8 billion people. And all these little lights are there around those 8 billion people. We have a daunting task in front of us to affect the world for Jesus Christ. And the last thing we need is lights that are flickering. The last thing we need are lights that are going out. You've had those on your Christmas tree, right? you got the little lights all over it and one of them's flickering and it's not supposed to and the rest of them go out. We need lights that are going to shine brightly. Light, lights that are going to be noticed from a, from a distance and lights that are going to have a difference from up close and personal. We need to identify and see those lights. We need to be that light. We are the light of the world. If the world doesn't see Jesus Christ through us, they'll not see Him through anything else. And can I tell you this? The Gospel of Jesus Christ and the Word of God is being so distorted in our day. And a false Christ is being presented that, 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 that acquiesces to the mentality of modern culture that if you and I do not stand up for the God of the Bible and the Christ of the Scriptures, the world is without hope. They need Bible-believing Christians like you and I and others around us. They need us to be the light of the world. Look if you want to Philippians chapter 2, right before 1 Thessalonians. Just two books back. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 15. Here's what the Bible says about you and I as believers. That ye may be blameless. Philippians 2.15 Blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse Nation. I've been asked many times over the years, is, can you find America in the Bible? And they're talking about America in prophecy. And I'll say, I can find America in the Bible right here. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Now again, you understand, I'm, I'm, I'm as patriotic as the next guy and probably more patriotic than the next guy. But at the same time, I realize the world we live in is no friend of God. And we are dwelling in a crooked and perverse nation. You have to watch everybody. You can't trust anybody. You've got to watch your back all the time. Somebody's out there to take advantage of you. You can't answer, you can't answer the phone or answer an email without wondering if it's a scam. Somebody out there is trying to take advantage. We live in a crooked and perverse nation. And the Bible says that during this time, among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth the Word of life. You and I need to shine. We need to shine consistently. Not just on Sunday. Not just on Wednesday night when we have church. Not just when we're having our good days and our up days. We need to shine consistently. The world needs to see consistency. We need to shine continuously. And it's very similar. But there can be no power outages in our faith. 
We, we, can't, we can't do it for about a year and then back off for a while and then reignite the fire for a while and back off. No, we need to be consistent and continuous in letting our light shine in front of the world. Can I challenge you this morning? You know you're saved. You know you're born again. You're trying to be a light. Can you, can you realize you're signed up for life? That this is not a temporary thing. This is not a, this is not a sprint. This is a, a long distance run. And you're going to be a light for Jesus Christ till the day you die. Not only when things are going good in your life and the bills are paid and the health is good. Those are the rare moments. But you're going to be consistent and continuous for Christ when the bills aren't getting paid the way you want them to. When health isn't what you want it to be. When circumstances are not favorable. It shouldn't affect whether or not you're the light of the world. Because you're the light of the world because your Savior was the light of the world. You need to be consistent, continuous, and you need to be conspicuous. I used the word, the word inconspicuous this past Thursday in the Bible class down in Marietta. And that, was a, that was a challenging word for them. Inconspicuous. Try spelling that one. You and I need to be conspicuous. You know what that means? Noted. Seen. Available. You and I need... We don't need, we don't need secret disciples. We don't need Nicodemus, Nicodemus is coming to Jesus by night. We don't need Jer- jo- Joseph of Arimathea that were disciples of the Lord, but uh, kept it secret for fear of the Jews. We need bright spotlights shining in this world as a testimony for Christ. Why don't we do it? Well, because we don't want to stand out as different from everybody else. That's something about our human nature. We want to blend in. We want to fit in. And the worst thing you can do in a dark world is fit in when you're the light of the world. It just can't happen. When that light goes out and, you're ty- and you are trying to extinguish that light, that's a struggle. That's a challenge. When you're, trying to har- when you're trying to hide a bright light, that's not an easy thing to do. And if you are the light of the world, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're trying to trying to fit in with the people around you and the conversation around you and the lifestyle around you, you're going to struggle and have a hard time because you know you're not shining and you were designed to shine. The Apostle Paul was one of those lights. Look at Galatians chapter 1, then we'll move on to point number 3. Galatians chapter 1. I guess when I think of Paul saying, what wilt thou have me to do? When we think about growing, he is probably the epitome of that. Growing in his... Not, he had to unlearn all the stuff he'd learned as a Pharisee. The Bible tells us he had sat at the feet of Gamaliel, a teacher in Israel. Paul had learned from him. And when he put his faith and trust in Christ, he had to unlearn a lot of stuff he'd learned from Gamaliel. So he had to grow in knowledge. Paul had to glow. And boy, did he ever. We read it there in Acts. Look here in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 22. Galatians chapter 1, verse 22, similar to what we read in Acts, that Saul was unknown by faith under the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. That man that was trying to destroy it was now preaching it. That's a change. 
And people didn't even people that didn't know him by facial recognition knew him by reputation. And there are going to be people that might not know you by not might not know you by face, but they'll know you by reputation. They found out that guy's a Christian. I remember when I first became a Christian and went home on leave the first time and saw my friends from high school. And they came over on a Wednesday night and said, "Let's get in the car. Let's go." We're going to go cruising. We're going to go do what we'd done when we were friends in high school. And I said to them, fellas, I said, listen, I don't, I don't do that anymore. I don't go those places anymore. I don't do that stuff anymore. You know what they said? We'd heard that about you. I don't know how they heard. I hadn't been home. I'd, I'd been gone for quite a while and, and, and just got home. But they'd already heard that. There's folks that don't, might not know you by facial recognition, but they know you by reputation. Co-workers, neighbors, somebody says, oh yeah, that guy, well, he's a Christian. They'd heard about Saul. They'd heard about Paul. He once tried to destroy it. Now he's preaching it. And notice verse 24. That's the important thing of Galatians chapter 1. And they glorified God in me. They glorified God. They didn't glorify Paul. They glorified God. Back there, if you haven't left there in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 6, 16, it said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you. No. That they may see your works and glorify your good works. No. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know why we need to shine? To give glory to God. Not for recognition. Not for acknowledgement. Not for contention. We need to shine for the glory of God. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Saul, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grow. And I want you to glow. And then number three, I want you to go. Grow, glow, and go. In Acts chapter 9, Paul told Ananias that Saul of Tarsus was a special vessel chosen to carry the Lord's name to the Gentiles. Saul of Tarsus, that hater of Christians and especially of Gentiles, I mean, he was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a Jew of the Jews. And now God calls him, not Peter, but calls him, not John, calls him to take the Gospel to the Gentiles around the world. Tells him to go. And boy, did he ever. When God told him to go, he started across land from, from Israel. He went north into Galatia. And he went into Asia Minor and to Ephesus and, to, and all those towns. On his second missionary journey, God had him skirt Asia Minor, go around it up to Troas, and then sail over into Thessalonica and down down the coast of Corinth and to Athens. On his third missionary journey, he made that trip and went back. He spent three missionary journeys going two to four years to different places, all with one thing in mind. I'm going to go for God. I'm going to preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to grow and I'm going to glow and I'm going to go. Now again, you'll say, Preacher, I'm no Apostle Paul. Well, I can almost say thank God for that. We want you here at Bible Baptist Church. We don't want you to leave for Asia Minor. 
We don't want you to go to great Greece and Macedonia. Now, if God called you, praise the Lord. And God has called young men out of our church and young women to go and serve the Lord in different places. We're thankful for that. But as a pastor, I just assume God, you know, God always takes the choice servants and sends them far away. There's sometimes I say, Lord, why don't you take that guy? Or take that lady. No, I want this one or I want that one. I'm not talking about anybody in here right now. But God always takes those. And you say, I'm not the Apostle Paul. I can't go like he went. No, you can't. But that doesn't mean you don't have the responsibility to go. Look in your Bible, if you would, back at Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Nobody took the commission to go any stronger than the Apostle Paul. In shipwrecks often. In perils of the sea. In perils by land. In perils by countrymen. In prisons oft. In beatings and fastings and nakedness and hunger. What motivated Saul of Tarsus to do all those things for God. Because God had saved him. And he grew. And he glowed. And he wanted to go for Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15. Very well known and familiar verse. Mark 16:15. And he said unto them, he being the Lord Jesus Christ, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the Gospel to every creature. Go ye into all the world. He was talking to some disciples on a hillside outside of Jerusalem. And He told them to go into all the world. How are eleven men at the time? How were eleven men to get to all the world? Well, they weren't. But they were to get to where they could go. And then that commission has been passed on to every believer in Jesus Christ to go. And while our missionaries that, whose letters we have on the wall are going to Vietnam and Cambodia and uh, Papua New Guinea and the Philippines and all those different places, while we're sending them to go there, our responsibility is to go here. To go to your neighbor with that tract that Pastor Lewis referred to, our tract of the month, to give one to your neighbor and invite them to church and see what the Lord might do in and through them. You never know what God's going to do with a gospel tract. To your co-workers, to your family members, whoever it might be, to give them just a simple invitation, to give them a gospel tract, to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ that loved them enough to die on Calvary's cross for them. Oh no, God's not calling you to go Galatia and Thessalonica and all those places, but He's calling you to go in your neighborhood, in your city in your area, to people that you can reach that no one else probably ever will. He told Paul to go. Look back, if you would, at Acts chapter 9 one more time. Acts chapter 9. Lord, what wilt Thou have me to do? Well, Paul, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grow. Christian, that's what God's desire is for you. That's why you're here this morning. 
to learn, be taught, and be preached to from the Word of God. To absorb everything you can. What can you get in this world, in this life, that's more important than that right there? Nothing. And I mean that absolutely. Nothing. And how much time do we spend getting that from this as opposed to what we get from any other source? That's where your heart is. There will your treasure be also. We need, to, we need to grow. We need to glow. We need to be lights for the Lord Jesus Christ in this lost and dark world. You don't ever want your neighbor, your co-worker, your friend, your schoolmate to stand before the Lord at the great white throne of judgment to find out their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life and they are to be cast out into an eternal lake of fire and to turn and look and see you in the multitude of the redeemed that's standing back there witnessing it and they look and they see your face and they recognize you as a neighbor or a friend and they say, wait a minute. You're not going to the lake of fire? Your name's in this Lamb book of life? And you never told me about this? You don't want that to happen. Glow. Glow for Jesus Christ. Who cares if people are blinded and don't want to see it and want to look away? The blind lead the blind and both fall into the ditch. Be a light. And then go. Go for Jesus Christ. Be a representative of His. Be a voice for Him. Acts chapter 9, verse number 20. Acts chapter 9, verse number 20. And straightway He preached Christ in the synagogue that He is the Son of God. Go. Go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that My house may be filled. Paul was a three-day-old convert to Christianity. And he was in church on Sunday. And he was there Worshiping the Lord. And he was there beginning his new life of growth in Christ. And because of that, in verse 21, he glowed. And they looked at him and said, Is this not he that destroyed it? What in the world is he doing now? They didn't understand it. What a change has taken place in him. Don't be afraid to glow. Don't be ashamed. And Saul increased, verse 22, and Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving this, this is the very Christ. Paul's entire life after he got saved, what wilt thou have me to do? Grow, glow, and go. And Paul did that. He set an example. He said, be ye followers of me as I also am of Christ. And so you and I, if we want to ask the Lord, Lord, what will, thou, what will Thou have me to do? His answer will be simple. It's concise in these three words, very simple words. And I've given to, you, given to you this morning. He wants us to grow. He wants us to glow. And He wants us to go. Will you do those things for your Savior? That, doesn't that sound like a ridiculous question? Will you do those things? If I said, will you do those things for your parents? Will you do those things for your children? Will you do those things for your Savior? The answer has to be yes. Let's stand together this morning with our heads bowed.